Childress remarked, and he's not only rich, he's curious, he added as the black Lincoln Town car came to a full stop and cut off its headlights directly in front of the driveway where they were parked. The back door opened, and a man in his late thirties wearing a dark overcoat got out. Childress rolled down his window, intending to make an excuse for their presence, but as the man paused and put his cell phone to his ear, Childress recognized him. That's Gray Elliot. What's he doing out here? He lives nearby. Maybe he's attending the party. Or maybe he wants to pitch in and do some surveillance with us, Childress joked. But there was admiration in his voice. After only one year in office as Cook County's state's attorney, Gray Elliot was a hero to the cops, a brilliant attorney who wasn't afraid to take on tough, risky cases. The fact that he was also a wealthy socialite who dedicated himself to public service rather than the pursuit of greater wealth added another facet to his heroic image. McNeil liked him for all of those reasons, but McNeil had always liked Gray, even when he had been a carefree, reckless teenager whom McNeil had busted for several minor youthful offenses. Elliot finished his phone call, walked over to the car, leaned down, and looked inside. "'You must be Childress,' he said by way of greeting. Then he shifted his attention to McNeil. "'I'd like a word with you, Mac.' McNeil got out and joined him at the back of the car. The wind had died down, and the engine was running, pumping warm exhaust at their feet. "'I asked that you be assigned to this case,' Gray told him, because you headed the investigation into William Wyatt's disappearance and you're familiar with all the players. Not all of them, Mac interrupted, unable to keep his curiosity in check. I never heard of Mitchell Wyatt until today. Who the hell is he? And why are we watching him? He's William Wyatt's half-brother, and I believe he's responsible for William's disappearance. His half-brother? McNeil repeated, his forehead furrowing into a doubtful frown. When William disappeared, I interviewed all his family members and all his friends. No one ever mentioned a half-brother. In fact, when I interviewed Cecil Wyatt, the old man repeatedly told me how important it was that we find his only grandson and bring William home to his wife and kid. You were deliberately misled by an arrogant, devious old man who wasn't ready to admit he had a grandson he'd never acknowledged. I've known the Wyatts my whole life, and I never knew William had a half-brother. For that matter, neither did William until this past June. According to the story I was just told, William's father, Edward, had an affair with his secretary when William was a couple years old, and his mother was dying of cancer. The secretary got pregnant, and William's mother died a few months later. But when the secretary pressed Edward to marry her as he'd promised, he stalled, then denied the baby was his. She retaliated by threatening to take the whole sordid tale to the Tribune. Elliot's cell phone rang, and he paused to glance at the caller's name. Then he ignored the call and continued. At the time, Cecil had big political plans for Edward— which a scandal would have destroyed, but allowing a common little tart to marry into the family was unthinkable. Cecil tried to buy her off, 
but she wouldn't budge about her child's right to be legitimate and to be named Wyatt and to be raised as a Wyatt. She hired a lawyer, and eventually a deal was struck. Edward would marry her shortly before the baby was due, and then divorce her immediately after the birth. She relinquished all rights to the baby, granting full custody to Cecil. Cecil, in turn, was obliged to see that the baby was raised with all the benefits associated with Wyatt money and social connections, including the finest education, travel abroad, and so forth. She received a substantial sum of money on the condition that she never divulge a word about anything that had happened and never again have contact with any of the parties involved, including the baby. McNeil turned the collar up on his jacket. The bottom half of his body was reasonably warm, but his ears were freezing. Obviously, Cecil later changed his mind about the grandson he said, rubbing his hands together before he stuck them in his pockets.